practice made perfect. The 10 keys to optimize improvement. Getting good at anything requires a lot of practice. But not all practice is made equally. Just doing something a lot doesn't ensure you'll master it. Consider the person who hunts and pecks while typing on the keyboard. Practice will help them go faster and make fewer mistakes, sure. But no amount of practice doing this will turn him into a touch typer who can write at 80 words per minute. Similarly, second language learners typically stall. Pronunciation and grammar often have noticeable errors even after the person has lived and used the language in a country for decades. Practice doesn't make perfect, but permanent. So how can you optimize your rate of improvement? Considerable research has been done into the mechanisms that underlie skill development. In this episode, I'd like to suggest a few strategies to improve your practice efforts. Number one, start with examples. Researchers draw a distinction between practice and problem solving. Practice means using a known method or procedure. Problem solving refers to the process you use when you don't know what the right method is. Problem solving has a few drawbacks. The most obvious is simply that you might not figure out what the best method is on your own. In that case, you may end up practicing a worse strategy or just getting the questions wrong and then having difficulty correcting it later. But a subtler difficulty with problem solving is that it may distract you from learning the underlying patterns of the problem itself. So, say you're trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, twisting around the shapes randomly to try to get a pattern. In this case, even if you accidentally stumbled upon a useful technique, you might not notice it as your attention is entirely directed towards completing the goal. One remedy for this problem is to start by studying worked examples or demonstrations of how to solve the problem. This can give you an understanding of the best methods before you try it yourself. Number two, retrieve, don't reread. Retrieval practice is the process of testing yourself with a closed book. This not only acts as a check on your knowledge, but is one of the most effective ways to learn. Free recall is the simplest way to practice retrieval. After a lesson, you give yourself a blank piece of paper and just try to remember everything you can. And when you're done, go back and see what you missed. Flashcards are another way to practice retrieval. If a complex skill is hard to memorize parts, breaking those off as flashcards can ease your working memory burden. Practice questions and mock tests can also be a good resource for drilling down knowledge. Now, you might notice a tension exists between the benefits of retrieval and studying examples. If the pattern for solving a problem is in memory, retrieval practice suggests we're better off solving the problem on our own without help. On the other hand, if there's no pattern in memory, we have to default to search processes, which may not only be slow, but make it harder to acquire key patterns. You can resolve this problem by alternating between attempting a problem yourself and seeing the solution. With more experience, shift your emphasis to problem solving, working on harder problems for longer before checking to see what the answer is. Number three, spread out your sessions. Cramming is bad. This isn't because it doesn't work. Every student knows that a night of hard studying can make a difference right before a test. The peril is that what is crammed is soon forgotten. The spacing effect refers to the benefit of spreading studying sessions out over time. The same fact, procedure or problem done five times in succession or spread out over five days involves the same amount of studying time, but the latter will result in much more durable memories. For factual knowledge, spacing can be accomplished easily with flashcards. Space repetition systems such as Anki or Memrise make use of the spacing effect in timing when to review. For other skills, the best way to benefit from spacing is just to mix up practice on older skills while you're learning new ones. 
A 10-minute review session to work on previous material before moving on to further development can make a huge difference. Number four, mix up your practice. Your brain is a prediction machine. Behind the scenes, it is constantly trying to guess what knowledge might be useful next. This is incredibly advantageous, but it can create problems for practice. One of those problems comes from blocking. This occurs when you practice the same skill in predictable chunks. So, say, doing all the problems from Unit 1, then all the problems from Unit 2, and then drilling your tennis backhand, followed exclusively by your forehand stroke. With such predictability, your brain learns to easily predict problems of a certain type and makes knowledge for solving them more available. Yet real-life problems won't come as packages divided by units, and this is why we need to mix up our practice. If we don't know what type of problem we're solving before we attempt it, we can only rely on the features of the problem itself. Since we'll only have features of the problem itself when we're using the skill, this makes our practice much more closely approximate the real thing we're trying to get good at. Number five, put confusing examples side by side. Whenever you make a mistake, it's important to figure out why. A common issue can occur when confusing similar situations that require different responses. You might mix up the first tone in Chinese, G, with the third tone, G or confuse coronal for sagittal planes in an anatomy diagram, or not be sure when you should code with a for loop or a while loop. Anytime you mix up the correct response, put the different examples side by side so you can see what distinguishes them. If you're not sure, ask someone who knows so they can point you in the right direction. The worst thing to do is simply hope that the confusion will sort itself out through repetition. Number six, use self-explanations. When learning a new method or problem-solving procedure, always walk through and explain each step to yourself. Repeated drills can make it easy to memorize, but don't always facilitate understanding. So when the format of questions changes slightly, you might be unable to adjust. Practice should always be done with understanding. If you see a step that doesn't seem well-motivated, you should try to explain it to yourself, and then after failing that, seek out someone else who can tell you why you need to do it that way. Number seven. Analyze your past performance. For skills at the limit of your abilities, it's not possible to simultaneously monitor your performance and improve it. The fix is to record yourself performing the skill and then review it after. Videotaping yourself while performing complex skills is a powerful tool for analysis. For skills like public speaking, martial arts, or running a race, you simply can't see yourself as an outsider would while performing the skill. This can lead to misperceptions about how you're performing it. You might think you're speaking slowly, but you're actually talking way too fast, for instance. The other advantage of watching a recording of yourself is that it allows you to focus all of your attention on performing a task and only later spending that precious mental bandwidth to analyze the effort. Number eight, use the 85% rule for sliding difficulty. How hard should you make the questions? The 85% rule is a useful heuristic for picking the difficulty of tasks with a clear correct-incorrect distinction. If you can adjust the difficulty smoothly, you can fine-tune it to pick a level that's not too hard but not too easy. Consider trying listening to someone in a foreign language to improve your ability to hear a pronunciation. So if you did drills with recorded sentences, you might want to pick questions where you can hear it correctly about 85% of the time. Now less than that, and you're likely making the task too difficult, and thus making learning less efficient, not to mention more frustrating. For skills with lumpier difficulty gradients, so for instance physics problems, 
or where the metric for success is unclear, say writing an essay, the 85% rule is more a rough heuristic than a precise number. But you can still use the idea of fine-tuning difficulty so you're succeeding most but not all of the time. Number nine, improve your feedback. Feedback comes in different sources and qualities. First, we can evaluate the source. Sources range from direct to indirect. Direct feedback is the actual result you're trying to achieve, say sales for a product launch, bug-free code, or hitting that home run. Indirect feedback comes from other people and is a commentary on your performance, not the objective truth of the performance itself. In general, direct feedback is more accurate than indirect feedback, assuming you're clear about what the reality you're trying to influence actually is. So, for instance, if your goal is to be a better programmer in order to get a promotion, then writing code that pleases your boss may actually be the real feedback rather than the speed or efficiency of your software. However, direct feedback often isn't constructive. It doesn't tell you what you did right or wrong, and it can't suggest methods for improvement. In that case, indirect feedback can be more useful because it can provide these tips. Ideally, you should seek out both. Direct feedback gives you a valid measure of your success. Indirect feedback gives you tools and knowledge to make improvements. Number 10, match your practice to real life. Naively, we often view the mind like a muscle. Give it training and it improves. This is true, but the improvements we get are actually a lot more specific than this muscle analogy implies. Practice at one task transfers far less than we think to unrelated tasks. A good way to improve your practice efforts, then, is to get really clear on what you're trying to get good at. Are you trying to learn a language to have conversations, travel, read literature, watch movies? Some basics will, of course, overlap in each of these, but the exact skills of pronunciation, grammar, and vocabulary are going to be somewhat different in each. Tons of practice, for instance, ordering food at a restaurant, is not going to help that much at all in reading a comic book later. Academic skills often have well-defined standards for achievement. Studying for a test can be measured fairly accurately against the tests you take in class. But real-life skills are often murkier. Is being a successful entrepreneur largely a matter of knowing business theory, accounting, finance, marketing? Who can say exactly? The more ambiguous the skill, the more important it is to go between deliberate practice, where you isolate and figure out what you're trying to improve, and doing the real thing to figure out what the improvement you actually need to make is. Deliberate practice is needed for improvement, but ladder is essential for figuring out what practice is needed in the first place. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.